Let us pray. Lord, who loves all that you have made, we pray that you would be with us now. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We're beginning a journey this evening. We're beginning a season. It's important to note that the season doesn't, it doesn't wrap up today. It begins today. Over the next 40 days, we're taking a kind of pilgrimage of the soul. Our Lord went for 40 days into the wilderness. And so we go 40, and so we go 40 days into a kind of spiritual wilderness. And we take our bodies with us through the tools of Lent, through prayer, through fasting, through giving. We take all of ourselves on this journey. This journey away from the usual patterns of life and the question, and the question of the night is, what will we find when we get there? I'm reminded of the words of John the Baptist when the people came to him to repent, and he said, what have you come out into the wilderness to see? What are you really looking for, and what will you find? That's the question I'd like to ask tonight. But before we can do that, we need to, take a, we need to talk a little bit about the beginning of the journey. Why do we have to make it at all? And then, having done that, we can talk about what we'll find when we make it. So the first question, why do we have to make the journey at all? Why go into the wilderness? Why subject myself to this season of deprivation, of fasting, of mourning? Why are we here? Fasting here is actually an apt metaphor. You see, I uh, was trying to explain to some students the other day what fasting is. And here's, here's a way to think about it. Our lives are lived according to a kind of pattern. We wake up, we eat, we work. We eat, we work, we eat, we go to sleep. And we repeat that the next day. We wake up, we eat, we work, we eat, we work, we go to sleep. And that pattern repeats day after day after day. And the thing about your body is your body doesn't know what time it is. But your body does know the pattern. So your body doesn't know if it's 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 5 o'clock. And if you travel across time zones, you see that this is true. What your body knows is the pattern. That's where your body lives. When you fast, you're taking your body out of the pattern. And in that moment, in the moment where you leave that routine, you learn two things about yourself. The first is you learn that you are hungry. And the second is you learn that you've been making choices about how to satisfy that hunger. The Lenten journey begins with an invitation an invitation to begin taking responsibility for the choices that you have been making. And that can be a kind of unpleasant invitation. You see, the benefit of the pattern is that the pattern is someone else's fault. You can shift responsibility. As long as you're living within the pattern, it's not really you. You make these choices without even thinking about them. It just happened. It's what you do, right? And so you can shift then. You can say, there's something beyond me that made me act this way. It's just the way that things are, the way the cards are stacked. I've had these terrible things happen to me. It's, it's not me. It's whatever's over here beyond me. And yet God in Scripture continually calls us back. No, your decisions matter. The way you choose to live matters. There's a call here to relationship and to accountability. 
There's a call to take ownership of our own lives, of the ways in which we behave, of the direction in which we're heading. I love the beginning of the psalm we just read, by the way. We read a, a portion of it, of Psalm 103. The beginning of it is, is quite famous. I'll read it to you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. It's an interesting psalm to think about for a second. Who's the speaker and who is he talking to? We tend to think of the soul as me, but, but here in the psalm, I'm talking to my own soul. I'm instructing myself. It's like a conductor in front of an orchestra commanding his soul, praise the Lord. There's another passage I often think of in conjunction with this one. It's in the book of Proverbs in chapter 4, where the proverbist exhorts us, watch over your heart with all diligence. This image, watching over, is the image of someone who's invested in the well-being of a thing. The training of your heart, the training of your soul, is your responsibility. And so in Lent, we're called to take stock of ourselves. We're called to repentance, which means taking ownership of the things we've done and taking ownership of the ways in which we've failed to follow the Lord. You're being invited on a journey, a journey with the Lord, away from the typical pattern of the day-to-day -day life, away out into the wilderness where you be can begin to recognize the choices that you're making. But no sooner do we begin this journey than we learn that something about ourselves as well. We learn that the ability to command our own souls is deeply impaired. Think with me about the passage we heard from the prophet Joel earlier. What does Joel say? There's an interesting line. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. That's interesting. Rend your hearts. What's going on here? We, we get the garments part, I think. I think we understand God's talking about more than just something ceremonial. But why does he say to rend your heart? What is the Lord trying to communicate? I think what he's saying is it's not just enough to perform your repentance. It has to change the way you live. But if that's, if that's all that there is, then why doesn't he say just do good things? Hey, don't just rend your garments. Do good things in addition. Why does he say to rend your heart? It's a bloody image. Think about it. Think about taking a heart and tearing it apart. The heart, of course, is the will. Right? In Hebrew anthropology, when we talk about the heart, we're talk what we're talking about is your very will, the place where you make decisions from. And here's the point. Here's why God says to rend your hearts. He's saying, if you're going to turn to me, it's going to involve a tearing of your very will. I think one of the things that meets us as we begin on our Lenten journey is a fear that God is going to find out just how half-hearted our approach to him really is. Our Lenten disciplines last for maybe a week, maybe two. Some of us, they last for just a day. And we think, that, that's it. I've missed it. I've messed up the whole point. Now God's figured out I can't even do this right. And yet here we have in the prophet Joel, God saying something very important. I know already that you're half-hearted. I know how enmeshed and how entwined you are with your sin. Bring your broken heart to me. Bring me your torn and contorted will, and I will heal you. I will give you rest. 
And so we make our way out on this journey with our torn and broken hearts. And as we go, we encounter something else that's strange, this strange command from our Lord in the gospel. When you fast, when you pray, when you give alms, do it in secret. What's going on here? You know, Jesus could have said, when you pray, just, you know, don't get caught up in how it sounds. That's not what it's about, right? Make sure you're talking to me. He could have said, when you fast, don't be showy about it. Or when you, give the, when you give, the fanfare is fine, but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. But he doesn't. He says, go and do it in secret. Why? I think there are two things that we can draw out of this command to go and do it in secret. I think part of the answer is really clear, and it's related to what we've just discussed. You see, the moment we begin to turn to God, the moment we begin to try to devote ourselves to the Lord, we find ourselves already mixed up, caught in a kind of duplicity. We think of ourselves as whole, but really we're trying to serve multiple masters at the same time. And there's this voice in the back of your head that says, well, since I'm here, maybe someone will notice how good of a guy I am. Maybe people will appreciate me or respect me more. Maybe they'll come to me for advice, seeing how holy of a person I am. Christ says, don't do that. Christ says, don't use your relationship with God as a pretext for social benefits. Remember, God already knows that your heart is torn. The reason he calls you to secrecy is because in that space, where it's just you and God, there is no one left to perform for. After all, as we pray every week to God, all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from him no secrets are hid. I think part of the reason Christ calls us to secrecy is because in that place, the masks and the pretenses have to go away, and we begin to deal honestly with God. But I think there's another issue at play as well, related but a little bit further down, a little bit deeper into our souls. You see, the practices he mentions are all good things, praying, fasting, giving alms, these are the three disciplines of Lent, after all. They're things we do to train our souls to draw closer to God. And yet, in pursuing these disciplines and going out on that journey into the wilderness, not only are we challenged by our own duplicity, not only are we tempted, as we've just said, to try to serve God and ourselves at the same time, I think we're also gripped by a fear. Indeed, I think a fear is what's driving the duplicity, a fear that we're making this journey by ourselves, a fear that maybe we're the only ones in the room. What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't answer me? What if I'm left all alone? What if I go through these 40 days of fasting, of penance, of seeking God, and he's not there? And we're gripped by that fear, and it drives us to go look for a reward somewhere else. If I had to guess, I think that's part of why Christ makes this call to secrecy so explicit, because he knows that all of these other things are just a smokescreen, protecting you from dealing with that question. God, if I show up, are you even going to be there? You see, if I make a big deal about my disciplines, if I make sure other people see what a devout person I am, and then well, then I can cut my losses with God, right? At least I got something out of it. 
Other people applauded me. Other people saw how great of a job I was doing. It doesn't matter as much if God doesn't show up. But if I go into my room and I shut the door and I pray to God in secret, now the only way that any of this matters is if God is on the other end of the line. Now, I, I suspect for many of us, as we enter the Lenten season, that question lives large in our minds. And I suspect that for each of you that has that question, there are things in your life that you point to and you say, where was God when this happened? Where was God when this relationship fell apart? Where was God when there were things that I needed that I didn't receive? Where was God when? And you see, it's the fear of those questions that keeps us from engaging. It's fear of the answers to those questions that drive us to look for satisfaction elsewhere in the patterns of the world where we can numb ourselves or in a kind of self-promoting spirituality, anything that will keep us from having to deal with them. Lent is an invitation to engage. You know, I, I wish I could answer those questions for you. I wish that there was a, I could just give it to you back, you know, in a box with a nice bow on it. Here's the answer to the question you were asking. But these questions are part of your relationship with God. They're questions that you have to bring to God. And we know this, we know this from Christ's words that when you go to meet God in that place, when you go to meet God in that secret place, He's already there waiting for you. Your Father who is in secret will hear you. I encourage you then to take Lent as a challenge to bring those questions to God, to carry them with you through your Lenten discipline over the next 40 days. As the man said to our Lord, I would encourage you to pray to God, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Cling to the promise of Christ, who himself is already the assurance of God's presence with us. Lent is a journey, a journey over the next 40 days, away from the patterns of this world, a journey of repentance in which we take our broken and torn will and bring it before the Father who loves us and is patient with us. And Lent is an invitation, an invitation to meet God in a quiet and secluded place, a place where He promises to be present to us. As we close tonight, I'm reminded of the words of our Lord in the Gospel of Mark. Come away with me. Let us go alone to a quiet place and rest. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.